Today we're going to be reading from Luke 5, 27 through 32. If you use one of the Pew Bibles, that's page 1077. And while you are getting there, I'm going to tell you about an app that you can use on your phone. Um, we, we personally like to use the New Version Bible app, and today we'll be reading from the NIV version. Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, welcome back to Sinners and Saints. As we dive back into this series, we kind of took a break last week as we talked about and introduced a, a new small group ministry in our church called Cypress Street Circles. And uh, so that was neat. If you missed that, you can still listen to the whole message uh, on, on our website, cypressstreet.org, or on our podcast. And it really kind of details the why behind some fairly significant changes that are going to take place here as we launch into September. And I'll talk a little bit more about the details of that. Uh, before we leave today um, in kind of our announcements. So, but let's just uh, dive in here as we pick back up kind of where we left off in this Sinners and Saints deal. I was on uh, Facebook the other day and I'm scrolling through and I've got a lot of friends in ministry and so one of them posted a, a link about a, a ministry story that had taken place, kind of a pastor's testimony. Uh, but what was definitely odd about this one compared to most things that my minister buddies post is that the title, very large and clear, said, That's my effing pastor. That's what it said. <laughs> I said, well that's interesting. <laughs> and so of course I had to click on it and see what in the world this was talking about. Turns out that this pastor, I think his name was Gary Lederbach, did a lot of his work outside of the office just in places like uh, the Waffle House. And he found himself at the Waffle House on this particular day and this guy named Chuck walked in who was also a regular there and apparently Pastor Gary was sitting in Chuck's seat and, uh, and Chuck proceeded to kick him out of his seat right there in the middle of Waffle House when suddenly the waitress across the counter shouted at Chuck that's my effing pastor. <laughs> and they kicked him out. And the, the co-worker waitress said, uh, see, see, Gary had been there for a while. And, and one day he had mentioned a lesson he was working on, a Bible study lesson about the, the uh, armor of God. And so this uh, co-worker shouts at Chuck as he's leaving after being lambasted and says, yeah, that's the sword of the spirit. Bleep. <laughs> And so Gary might want to revisit the armor of God just to cover the details again on that. But really the most amazing part of that story was that that guy Chuck, who had tried to kick Pastor Gary out of his seat, ended up being this guy that was going through terrible stuff, ended up talking 
to, to the pastor and I ended up really interested in Jesus and just it was an incredible story but one of the things that surprised Gary in that moment was he had no idea that those waitresses felt so strongly <laughs> about him he had no idea that they considered him his pastor uh, their pastor right uh, he had no idea that they would kick somebody out of their restaurant out of their love for him he had no idea until that moment. And that's a little bit odd to us, partly because we don't expect people like that to like people like Gary. We don't expect people who are rough around the edges to hang out or like or love, much less be loyal to someone who is a you know, goody moral pastor type. And yet in this case, they did and I would submit to you that it's not normal by Jesus' standards. If we are to be Jesus' people, Christians are to be Christ followers. Uh, Jesus, this happened to him, I have a feeling, quite a lot. In fact, that story we read today was a good example, and we'll get to that. But I just want to suggest to you, if you're here today and, and you are a saint, which most of us I group into that category. I know you don't like that label and, and sinners don't like that label either, but we're using them today. They're in the Bible. You know, we're just going to use them. So we, uh, we, we don't like, you know, we, we get this message that we aren't supposed to like sinners around us and they aren't supposed to like us. And sinners, I think, definitely get that message and have that presupposed idea in their head, maybe partly from media, maybe from movies, I don't know what all, maybe from actual encounters with churches that rejected them or treated them poorly. We get the idea from one another that we're not supposed to get along, that sinners aren't supposed to like saints, saints aren't supposed to like sinners, we're to be at odds with one another. But when we study the life of Jesus, as we have been through this series, we find that they did like him. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And so this one's addressed, Dear Sinner. And I want to talk directly to, to sinners today. And if you're listening online or you're here in our midst and you kind of don't really identify yourself as a churchy person or necessarily haven't figured out what you want to do with this Jesus guy in your life, then we're glad you're here today. And we just want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus himself and not all the mess ups of whatever you know experience you've had with Christianity. And if you're a saint in that group of churchy folks who are here with us today or listening online, don't, uh, don't just tune me out today because maybe something that we say today and that we look at from the life of Jesus will help you out with how to relate to sinners and, uh, and just give us some much needed perspective. And I'll have a note for you at the end of our message today. Well, what, dear sinner, what did you think about that short little passage we read a few moments ago where Jesus called a tax collector to follow him. Now when we hear tax collector, we think IRS. And, and it's not a pleasant thought. We don't like that thought. Uh, but if you can fathom it, you need to ramp that up a few notches to get an idea of how people in Jesus' day felt towards tax collectors. Now in our day we have, you know, there's, there's lots of things that the Bible calls sin. But we, in, because of our culture and because of whatever else, we have certain ones that we really focus on, don't we? That have become, in our culture, the big sins, right? Um, for a long time it was just 
sex, sex, drugs, and drinking, and that kind of thing, and smoking, and those kinds of things. Nowadays, it has a lot to do with homosexuality and transgender and all that kind of thing. And but there's certain things that you know, no one goes around talking about gluttony. I don't know why, but there's certain things that we really hone in on and, and fixate on in the church and in society when it comes to sins. And in Jesus' day, it was kind of the same. And when you thought about sinners in Jesus' day, you thought about things like prostitution. But there was something that came on the list first. The first thing out of their mouth was tax collectors. Tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. The whole rest of them. Tax collectors. These guys... We must assume they led a lifestyle that was not very moral. We know from what we can read that they threw a lot of parties, probably did a lot of drinking, probably played loud music <laughs> at their parties. <laughs> they didn't have speakers, but maybe they had just really loud instruments. Uh, I don't know. But they, they, there was a lot of party throwing. There was, we know they were throwing that party with money that they had cheated, stolen, by using the power of Israel's oppressor, Rome, and the illegitimate king, Herod, that Rome had put there, using that illegitimate power to oppress people, steal from people, take their money, and enrich themselves. They were hated and despised. They were, just say that if, you're, if you would count yourself a sinner, you don't compare in sinnerness to these guys. They took the cake in that day. And so here's Jesus, and he stops by and he sees a tax collector, and he says, Come follow me. Come be one of my disciples. And this guy got excited about that. And he left his tax collector booth and that whole career, just left it, threw a big party with all of his buddies. Also sinners, right? Because no one righteous in that day would be caught dead hanging out with him. And so all of his sinner buddies, they throw a big party because Jesus has asked Matthew to follow him. And Jesus is there, and they're all there. They're throwing a party because Jesus wants to be with Matthew, wants Matthew to be with him. They're throwing a party. That not only do they like Jesus, and they love Jesus. They're so excited about Jesus. Why? Especially considering things that Jesus would say. I mean, look in this very passage we have Jesus saying, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is very expressly saying the whole reason I'm here is to call sinners to repentance. Now that didn't mean anything much different then than it does now. A sinner was still a sinner. It was someone who was immoral, someone who was not following the laws of God, someone who was not living God's ways. Calling them to repentance, which still meant back then turning from that way, leaving it behind, and beginning to live God's way and Jesus, the way Jesus was teaching and describing and leading and modeling. I mean, isn't that what a lot of times ticks 
y'all off sinners when we as Christians come around and say and calling you to repentance and saying you need to leave that life behind and you're like who are you to tell me anything about my life you've got your ideas of how it works I've got my ideas of how it works and here's Jesus saying the whole reason I'm here is to call sinners to repentance to ask them to stop living the way they're living to basically saying the way you're living isn't good you need to live this way He's open about it. And yet here you've got a bunch of sinners throwing a party because they love to hang out with Jesus. How does that work? Huh. I think the biggest question, if you're here today, or you're listening, and and you fall into that camp, sinners, or you'd place yourself there before you'd place yourself in the saints camp, well... The biggest question, I think, to wrestle down is, why? Why was it that people like you seem to find the real, original Jesus so irresistible, in spite of his overt intentions to uh, what we might call convert them? I mean, he was very straightforward about it. So, why then? That seems like an important question to answer. Why did, why did sinners love Jesus when he was so clear that his whole mission was to call them to change their lives, to repent? Why wasn't that just a turnoff? There's two undeniable facts. Jesus wanted people to stop sinning. I mean, he told one guy that he had healed, stop sinning before something worse happens to you. (laughs) And we also know that sinners loved him. So what is it that we're missing? I believe we can figure that out right here in this passage. And I believe part of our problem is we don't have an accurate view of what sin is in our world anymore. I'm not sure that the people in Jesus' day had a very accurate view of it either. But we've really kind of lost our way with this, I I believe. When I look around and I see what people say about it on both sides, sinners and saints. But Jesus, I believe, was crystal clear about it. And I think this is key. We have to recapture his view of sin before we can understand and come to grips with why these people whom he was there to convert, we might say, loved him. So, in this very passage, we see this. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I told you, they always come first. (laughs) But the worst ones first. And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I know sinners now are like, great, now you're calling me a sicko. Thanks. (laughs) But really, it's not Jesus that's being offensive here. It's the Pharisees who are saying, why are you even hanging out with these people? They are dogs. They are worse than that. How could you dare? Because none of them would dare sit down to a meal with a tax collector. Or a sinner like that. But Jesus all the time. He's got 
adulterous people, prostitutes, washing his feet, <laughs> touching him, you know, and, and they're like, ah, you can't do that. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And remember, that, that guy he had healed that I just mentioned a moment ago, and, and later he runs into him, and we don't know why the guy had been crippled for so long, but maybe it had to do with some choices he was making in his life. And Jesus said to him, stop sinning before something worse happens to you. See, if you try to get into Jesus' head, you can begin to see how he viewed sin. And it wasn't just like we view it. See, I think most people in our culture, both in the church and out of the church, see sin as rule-breaking, right? As, you know, we're all familiar with the, uh, you know, if nothing else from Hollywood, the Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston comes down the mountain with the tablets, you know, ah, and throws them down. Anyway, so we know about the Ten Commandments, and there's been battles about the Ten Commandments. Can we post them in schools? Can we post them at courthouses? Should we not? And So everyone in, in culture is familiar with those, and that's what we think of when we think about sin, is that there's these rules, these arbitrary rules that God has set down for everyone, and, and so now everyone has to follow them because the Christians say so, and, and the Bible says so, and so we've got a corner on what's right, and so therefore everybody must fall in line and follow these rules. And if you don't, you're a bad person. And if you do, you're a good person. Simple as that. Follow the rules, good. Break the rules, bad. Right? It's pretty simple. That's how we tend to view it. But Jesus seems to understand the why behind the rules. He understands that it's not just like God said, hey, these rules would make me happy. Do this! And then everyone just had to do it. And if you did it, you were good. And if not, he's going to zap you. But instead, from Jesus' viewpoint, God looked down and saw a mess. And he saw people ruining their lives, ruining their world, ruining their relationships. And he said, there's a better way. And here's how you can live that better way. And now, when we choose to live our way instead of the way God says is best, we call it sin. And Jesus, when he walked this earth and he looked around him, I mean, can you imagine from his perspective? See, Jesus said that he was there at the beginning when everything was right and as it should be and he was there at the fall of man when we sinned and we said no we're going to do life our way God we don't need your ways and we don't even need you we can be our own gods and so forth he was there for all that he said now I know that's an outrageous claim but he did die and then come back to life and so we believe him whatever he wants to tell us and he says that he was there for it and you can tell he has that perspective when he walks around because he doesn't just see people and he doesn't just see sinners but he sees people who are sick who have cancer and it's preventable and it breaks his heart you see him torn with compassion over and over again for people who are living in brokenness just a shadow of the life that he and the father wanted for them and they won't turn They won't change their ways. They won't repent. And it breaks his heart. And ultimately it sent him to the cross. 
suffer and to die for sinners. Not because those sinners were just breaking some arbitrary rule, but because they were ruining their life and ruining this whole world. They were sick. They needed a doctor. See, I think, I think the reason why, if we want to wrestle that question down to the ground, the reason why we can reconcile those two facts, that, that Jesus came to overtly, I mean, he made no bones about it, I'm here to call sinners to repent. And the reason why that was true, and it was also true that, that sinners loved him at the same time, was because they could tell Jesus truly, genuinely, had their best interest at heart. Sinners loved Jesus because he genuinely had their best interest at heart. It's hard not to like someone who has your best interest at heart, isn't it? Have you ever found that to be true? Someone maybe you didn't want to like, but then the next thing you know, they're bragging on your kid or something. <laughs> or your spouse or you know, saying something nice about your grandchild and you're like, you know, maybe they're not so bad. I don't know. We'll give them a chance. It's hard not to like people who genuinely have your best interest at heart. You know, there can be a boss at work and you can't stand their personality. But man, after they promote you a couple times, you're like, this guy's not bad. <laughs> It's hard not to like people who genuinely have your best interest at heart. And sinners, I believe that's why they loved Jesus. Because when you think about how Jesus viewed sin, then you see how Jesus must have talked to them. How he must have looked at them. And it was different, no doubt, than the way all the other religious leaders and teachers had ever looked at a sinner, right? Because we know that look. Ugh. And we know the kinds of things that, that the righteous people like to say, right? The, the holier-than-thous, the, the ones who look down their noses and say, hmm, what a mess he is. Glad I'm not like her. The looks that you would receive if you walked into a church and you didn't look right. You know, those kinds of looks. And so... Imagine how refreshing when this new teacher who teaches with authority, who goes around doing miraculous things, who, who's famous, who seems to be leading some kind of new kingdom revolution, like maybe he's the king that God has promised all along, and all of a sudden he's smiling at you. He's talking to you like you're actually a real person that matters. He's seems to genuinely care about you and your life seems to want better for you it's hard not to like someone I mean you know in our world we're not Democrats aren't supposed to like Republicans and so forth but when you get to know one of them and then they actually like you and are interested in you then it's kind of hard not to like them even though you don't agree with them it's kind of like that With Jesus, it was was transforming. 
And I said Jesus saw sin like cancer, but that's really only the beginning. I mean, yes, he saw it as something that was killing them, that they needed healing from. But in some ways, sin is much worse from Jesus' perspective. See, cancer is not contagious, but sin is. Cancer causes grief to those immediately around you. Sin can literally ruin their lives forever. More than that, it can actually branch out indirectly and poison an entire society, an entire world. It can affect people's lives that you'll never even meet. And yet the choices we make when we live our way instead of the way that Jesus said is best can be really devastating. So, dear sinner, I would like to apologize on behalf of Christians for the times that we sometimes have made it kind of a holier-than-thou thing. And we've pretended that it's just a bunch of arbitrary rules and you've got to follow them if you want to be good and you got, if you break them, you're bad. And really hasn't done Jesus justice. And the reason that we fight for morals and the reason that we beg sinners to repent is not because we think that you're so evil. In fact, we were all in your shoes. Sometimes we forget that. But the reason is that, that, like Jesus, we don't want pain and brokenness that covers up our world. We don't want poverty and ruin. We don't want racism and hatred. We certainly don't want addictions and overdoses, things that people can't get free of. Depression and suicide. These are things that we would like to see done for. And we believe that the root of this is choosing to live our way, the culture's way, instead of living the way that God says we were designed to live. And when we do that and we live our own way, that's what Jesus called sin. If you're here today, or you're listening, and, and you're like, well, I don't really, my life's pretty good. I like my life. And I don't think the world's all that bad. You think you paint kind of a bleak picture of it. Uh, then probably you're not going to be ready to do much with Jesus. As long as you think life is great, there's not much need for God. But someday reality will set in. And this world's brokenness will find you out. Pain and death and suffering, it'll find you out. It finds us all out. Every funeral we attend is a reminder that things are not as they should be, as God wanted them to be. Things are broken. But if you're here today and you do feel like, man, either your life or your world or your family or whatever the case may be, is 
broken and you're willing to own that, then Jesus offers something better. He offers a better life. Not just someday. He offers a better way of life now. And so if you would consider putting your faith in Jesus Christ today, I want to offer you just a couple pieces of quick advice. Just from somebody experience down the road a little bit. One is that the Jesus way doesn't really work in moderation. I mean, by all means, stick a toe in, see how the water is, <laughs> but then decide, make up your mind to either really give this a go or not. Because Jesus says he can't stand lukewarm. Either be hot or be cold. He's one of those guys that likes his pizza either hot or cold. <laughs> if it's lukewarm, he spews it out. And, and so I would just say, if you're going to try it, really try it. Uh, uh, to not do that is kind of like if you said, you know, hey, I'm going to try driving a car for the first time. And then you kind of stuck one leg in, but you weren't sure. You might still prefer to walk, so you're going to keep one leg out. And you're just going to kind of hop along beside as you go. And then after a while you're like, cars are not for me. <laughs> Does not work for me. Glad it works for you. Not my thing. Okay, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to get in the car to experience whether it's going to work for you. So that would be my first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice would be enter into this Jesus thing with the right expectations. With the right expectations. See, a lot of times people come in and they think, and some Christians even tell them this, uh, it makes me shake my head. But they think that once they come to Christ, life is just going to be a bed of roses. Sunshine all the time. And if it's not, then it's not working. Let's be done with it. Gave it a try. Not for me. Please go into it with the right expectations. Because Jesus himself said that as long as we're in this world, we're going to have problems, we're going to have troubles, we're going to have sufferings. In fact, many of the first people to follow Jesus ended up with a target on their back because of Jesus that they wouldn't have had otherwise, and their life was more difficult because of it. But, not one of them would have traded it. Because they found something better than just happiness. They found joy. And they found peace, even in the midst of rough circumstances. Because they found Christ and His better way. And so I would encourage you just to keep the right expectations in place. Now, what you can expect is for God's way to work better in general. It doesn't mean that circumstances won't still strike you. Or that other people's sinful behaviors in this world will still affect you. Yes, they will. We live in a broken world. But families who strive to live God's ways and pass that on from generation to generation, they experience better life in general. There tends to be far less drama, far less brokenness, Children tend to grow up in more stable environments. 
They tend to excel better in life. They're people who live the Jesus way, their generosity and their others' mindedness buys them friendships that, and loyalty and such that most people never really experience in this life. And they wonder why. Why doesn't anyone like me? And, and Jesus followers have discovered what Jesus discovered, that when we have others' best interest in mind, people do. Their honesty and integrity. I've known a lot of uh, Christians who go into business, and their business thrives simply because they're honest. <laughs> and people are like, hey, we found someone who actually gives us an honest price on this, you know, and pretty soon they're got more business than they can handle and so forth so that's what you can't expect but let me just cut to the chase if you believe in Jesus if you want to give this Jesus guy a try if you want to place your faith if you really want to believe that he is who he said he was that he actually did live and die and resurrect from the dead as so many eyewitnesses saw and recorded for us uh, then there's really only two things to do according to Jesus and his apostles. And the first is, you guessed it, repent. Right? That's what Jesus said. I came to call sinners to repentance. That's what we do. We repent. We leave our old life behind to chase after his life. And the other thing is something that Jesus did, his disciples did, that every disciple since then, more or less, has done. It's been a Christian thing. It's been the one public act that Jesus asked people who were repenting and who wanted to be his disciples to do, and that's baptism. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. When you do that, you're publicly declaring that you're leaving that life behind, you're living a new life, and you want to be part of this family that's trying to do that together. And so we invite you to do just that today. Before we wrap this up, I just want to say one quick note to uh, saints, because I said I would. And it's kind of my own, uh, my own, that's my effing pastor story. Okay? Because <laughs> uh, I've been cussed out before too. <laughs> well, anyway. So, this particular instance, I, see, when I was in college, uh, in high school, I worked at Domino's Pizza in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It was one of the top hundred Domino's in the world. Uh, we did a lot of business. We were really busy. And uh, it was really stressful sometimes. I liked it. And uh, so we, uh, I had this manager named Sean. And he was a kind of a non-practicing Jewish guy. And uh, every summer I would work there. They would promote me above people who had been there longer. They were so nice to me. They gave me raises, they, I don't know, they, lots of things that I didn't deserve, and I couldn't ever really figure out why, because I didn't really fit in. Because I was a Christian guy, going to Bible college, Christian university, and, and uh, they, they were not. <laughs> you know, they, were, they were frat guys, and sorority girls, and you know, partiers, and you know, I was not. And I never went to their parties, I never hung out with them really outside of work, and, and so I was always surprised by that. And one day, one summer, I just really felt impressed to 
invite my manager to this campus ministry event thing they were having on a night. And uh, so I, I called him up and I said, Sean, um, I just want to see if you wanted to go to this Christian worship service thing they're having uh, on campus. And, and his exact words to me were, Jesus, Neil, are you trying to convert me or something? <laughs> are you trying to make me a Christian or something? I was like, this is not going well. Yeah, it was pretty awkward, and we hung up the phone, and I was like, well, it's going to be interesting next time I go to work. My phone rings a little while later. It says, I'm coming, and I'm bringing this other co-worker with me. What do we wear to something like this? <laughs> Blew my mind. And, uh, you know, to my knowledge, you know, and they did come, but to my knowledge, nothing really changed for them that night. I think Sean's still managing a Domino's pizza somewhere and still living more or less the same lifestyle and uh, so it's not some huge yay story look at that uh, but it, as I was working on this message it got me thinking why would he say yes and why would they treat me the way that they treated me even though I didn't fit in with them culturally and I hope that with the Holy Spirit's help in there somewhere, they could tell that I genuinely liked them. That I genuinely cared about them. And so there was a relationship there. There was a sense of like and loyalty already there. So that when I asked, I wasn't just asking as a Christian, I was asking as a friend. And I think that should be our goal, don't you, saints? To be a little more like Jesus in that regard. It's hard sometimes, especially with a world that already has assumptions about how you're going to treat them and things you're going to say. It's hard. But we've got to pray about and fight for this because it was so central to who Jesus was. Sinners liked him. I wouldn't be surprised that if, when Jesus called Matthew, he didn't drop a cuss word as he dropped his coins. That was the, the crowd he was running with were sinners. He probably couldn't believe it that Jesus asked him. And Jesus met him where he was. And he showed him that he cared. He took genuine interest in him. And the guy ended up becoming one of the twelve apostles that launched the whole Jesus movement that has spread across and around the world. And if that's you today, sinner, and you want to drop everything and follow Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. Let's have us, we're going to prepare to pray. And would you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes? And if there's anyone among us today, no matter where you're at with this faith journey, if you want to give your life to Christ or you feel the need to re give your life to Christ today, with nobody looking around or anything, would you just. Raise a hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us 
while we were still sinners. While we were still choosing our wisdom and our desires over yours. God, we admit, we confess that without you, without your death and resurrection, without your spirit at work in us, we would never break free of what has been killing us. Holy Spirit, help us believe. Help us turn from our old life to yours. Help us live lives of gratitude because you dared to keep our best interest in mind even though it meant for you a terrible death, even death on a cross. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.